Is a drug addiction actually a pathway to the fountain of youth? What would you do if you woke up one night paralyzed as a shadow man stands over you? And then we travel to the year 1971 to meet a man who made a movie about the Zodiac Killer. But he didn't make it for money. He made it to lay a trap for one of America's most notorious freaks. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I just had an image of me doing this show on camera. Doing this show in front of a video camera, maybe a live studio audience. And I break through the wall. Like there's just, like, well, you guys know what a wall is. It's a barrier. I break through the wall and go, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Wouldn't that be awesome? Every episode, a brand new wall. And on the wall is like a picture of the stories I'm going to cover. That'd be dope. Hey, Netflix, Netflix, give me a call if you want to sponsor that show. It's going to break a lot of barriers. Get it? And breaking through that wall right now as well is one of our legacy Patreons, Eva Marie Richardson. She comes smashing through that wall. Give her a round of applause. Eva, you're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you can't break through a wall, if you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. But just break into people's houses, just kick down their doors and be like, hey, dude, you got to listen to this show. There's walls for everyone to break. Eva Marie, let's hop in the bunny bulldozer. We are headed out to the fountain of youth. We're going to bulldoze it. We're totally going to smash it. We all got our hard hats on. We see this beautiful little fountain in the middle of Florida. Smash it. We don't need the fountain of youth because it already exists at your local pharmacy. I was on Reddit the other day. This was a while back, actually, I found this one. And I was on the opiate subreddit. Everyone knows, if you listen to the show for more than a week, I have this weird obsession with going to drug subreddits and read about people. The other day, this guy posted, um, he was on the meth subreddit, and he posted that he was having sex with a ghost. (laughs) He'd been up for five days. He was having sex with a ghost. And him and the ghost and some other spirits were going to help save the world. And the other meth addicts on the board were like, dude, get some sleep. You need to go to sleep. You've been up for five days. You're not having sex with a ghost. And they're giving him advice. Their advice is basically take a break from the meth. And after about four or five people telling him he needs to go to sleep, his final post for the night was help the <laughs> His final post for the night was help the ghosts are chasing me. And the response to that one was, dude, get some sleep. First off, the fact that other meth addicts are telling you to take a break, it's hilarious. Secondly, what, what does he think these people can do for him? If the ghosts are chasing him around his house, and he posts it on Reddit, like, what are the other Redditors supposed to do? But anyways, I have so much fun. I go to the drug subreddits all the time. I found this one on the opiate subreddit a while back. This post said, does anyone else feel like opiates actually prevent aging? And this post, this Reddit post about opiates was um, from Rate Me Throwaway 68 It's a throwaway account, but I still want to give, give credit for uh, at least bringing it to my attention. It's a very weird story. People begin posting stories that they do look younger than they should. A lot of them are like, yeah, it's really weird. Like, I still get car... Like, I've been using opiates since I was a teenager in my early 20s. And I still look like I'm in my early 20s. I'm like 35, 40. I still get carded. 
So they started trading stories, and, and they started to say, I do look much younger. And when you look at people who are smokers or alcoholics, they tend to look older than they actually are. But opiate users, people who are using heroin, hydromorphin, fentanyl, stuff like that, they look younger than they should. <laughs> if you're using fentanyl, you're basically going to look the age where you took it and you died. But for the average heroin user, they said they do tend to look younger. And there were some people who said, no, 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 that's not the case. I actually look much older. But by a considerably large margin, people were saying they looked younger. Anecdotal, obviously. You have a sample group of people who are doing opiates so much, they're on the opiate subreddit. They actually started throwing out a couple different theories. Uh, one of them was opiates slow down your breathing. Slow down your metabolism. The reason why I wanted to do this story today was it kind of plays in yesterday's story about oxygen is poison. They're saying that because we're breathing less, your metabolism's slower, because it does slow you. That's what kills you with the opioid overdose. You basically just stop breathing. Your metabolism shuts down respiratory distress. So it actually, they're saying that that slows down the aging process. That's not, that's not why, though. Another theory was that actually when you do opioids, it's less, your life is just less stressful. You're in a state of bliss. When, you, when you're high on opioids, the second you're not high on opioids, you're concerned about getting more opioids. So that would counterbalance it. There's, it's a very, like, super stressed. <sighs> super stressed. <sighs> so it's not a... Ba- it's not bal- I'd say even the stress would be higher than the four to eight hours where you're not stressed. Then you're stressed for even longer, trying to get it or worried about getting more and stuff like that. But I was looking at this and I go, that is something that there were so many people saying that that was the case. They're like, yeah, I'm an opioid addict. I've been an opioid addict for 10 years. It looks like I stopped aging 10 years ago. There were so many people saying that that I wanted to do some additional research. So I went out and bought a ton of heroin. And I don't look a day older than the two weeks ago when I first took it. I found this research paper, Opioids and Skin Homeostasis, Regeneration and Aging. What's the evidence? It's the name of this article. They say that, yes, doing opioids actually slows down the aging process. There's a little asterisk there. Long-term heroin use will actually age your brain. On a cellular level, your brain will appear to be an older person's brain. Long-term heroin use does brain damage. But opioids, and that includes heroin, outside of the brain, outside of that very important organ, it affects the skin. And that's why you itch. When you take a lot of opioids, your skin will start to itch. That's your skin actually reacting to an element in a painkiller. The article goes on for a bunch of science-y stuff that I don't really understand, but the gist is this. It actually does repair the skin. Your skin reacts to any sort of opioids. That scratching, that itching is basically your skin. It's working some sort of magic on there. Some sort of voodoo science magic. And they said it actually does affect the skin. It can heal the skin. In fact, there are groups right now that are trying to figure out a way to turn an opioid into a topical cream. It's that effective in slowing the aging process. There are companies right now thinking, if we can take an opioid, turn it into a topical, (laughs) make it so you don't get high, because otherwise the government will never allow it. But we could make a cream, rub it on your skin, it would actually make you look younger. 
a true fountain of youth. It's been tested in the streets all over America. People who are doing opioids look the age they were when they started doing the opioids. Unless they're like six. <laughs> it's not like a six-year-old guy walking around with a machine gun. He's a drug dealer. But it's, it slows your aging process down so much that it's a visible change. And companies right now are trying to figure out a way to turn that into a topical cream. It works that well. This is not an advocacy thing for painkiller abuse, but every thorn has its rose. Huh? You like that? You like that? Eva Marie, fire up that dead rabbit dirigible. We are leaving behind this den of really young-looking junkies, and we are headed out to Annapolis, Maryland. Dead rabbit dirigibles flying over the landscape. And we see... A little building. It's not a little building. It's actually a massive complex. But you see a campus out there. And it's the U.S. Naval Academy. So we're now wearing our suits. We all look like Cadet Kelly. That's an old reference. We got a little scarf. We got the normal little naval suit. And then we got a little scarf to accessorize it. So we get up to the rabbit dirigible. And we're marching information and all that stuff. Because really we want to get into the woman's dormitory. (laughs) Now I know that sounds weird. That's where this story takes place. This isn't a panty raid or something like that. We need to go into the woman's dormitory. So in our Cadet Kelly uniforms, they totally let us in. And there we're going to meet a young woman. We don't have her real name, so we're going to call her Kimberly. So Kimberly and her roommate, Becca, are both members of the U.S. Naval Academy. And when they're roommates, Kimberly realizes real quickly, she shares a room with Becca. Kimberly realizes pretty early on that Becca has some sleep issues. Becca talks in her sleep. Um, Not all the time, but it's not rare either. But we do know that Becca would have sleep disturbances. She would talk in her sleep and she would do weird things at night. That she would go, I was was asleep. I must have been sleepwalking or something like that. Anyways, the point is, is that she was a big weirdo at night. Well, one night Kimberly's sleeping in bed. And she wakes with a start. And she can't move. She's completely frozen in place. She's never suffered sleep paralysis before, but she had heard of it. Most people are familiar with it, even if they've never had it happen to them. I don't think I've had it happen to me. I could be wrong about that. I could have had it happen and forgotten, but she realizes immediately what it is. She's trying to be really rational about it. She can't move her body. And she begins to hear demonic voices from all around her. Now, she's used to hearing her roommate talk in the middle of the night. But this is different because her roommate, even though she may be saying a bunch of weird stuff, she she doesn't sound like a demon. It's a different thing. It's a different voice. But she's thinking this is, I'm just having sleep paralysis. I'm in between being awake and being asleep. This is totally normal. There's not really demons around me. And then that's when she sees a shadowy figure standing next to her bed. And she's completely paralyzed, and she's trying to convince herself this isn't real. I mean, it's real in the sense that I'm awake, but these are some sort of visual disturbances, and I can't move, and I understand the science behind this, and she's continuing to hear these voices, and she's forcing herself to be able to move. She's wiggling her toes. She's moving her legs. And once she's able to regain control of her body, she rolls over on her side. The paralysis is gone. The voices are gone. 
the shadow man is gone. And now she's looking right over at her roommate's bed. And her roommate is on all fours. <laughs> Cackling in the darkness. Kimberly gets up out of bed and wanders the halls of the dormitory until she's calmed down enough to go back to sleep. I found this story on Reddit as well. This was from a user named Bear R. Bear R. And she was repeating the story that her little sister had told her, who's at the U.S. Naval Academy. It just happened this year. She said, my little sister was walking around the Naval Academy, and I was on the phone with her, and she was saying how she felt the whole complex was haunted. She felt that you'd walk around these buildings, you'd always feel like you weren't alone. There's something weird. You felt that uneasy feeling. And then she told this story to her sister about what had happened just a few nights before. It's interesting because we do understand the science of sleep paralysis. It doesn't make it any less disconcerting when these things are happening to you. I like this story because we have the combination of a typical sleep paralysis thing, which are already creepy. You can't move your body. And we understand the science behind it, right? Your mind wakes up. Your body thinks it's still asleep. Our bodies actually go prone while we're asleep so we don't act out our dreams and injure ourselves or others. And that's why you can't move. And you could say that you're still dreaming. That's why you're hearing the demonic voices. That's why you're seeing these shadow figures. Your brain's trying to make sense of what's going on. Sure, scientific answer. But the fact that your roommate also seems to be affected by what should be a localized, i.e. in-your-head event, makes it even more creepy. Now, yes, the roommate does have a history of talking in her sleep, doing weird stuff, and it could just be a coincidence, but I think when you start to line all these things up, one, the girl claiming that the U.S. Naval Academy already makes her feel uneasy, she believes that it's haunted, two, her very first sleep paralysis episode, taking place at a facility she believes is haunted, next to someone who's already susceptible to night terrors, to having sleep disturbances, being next to you, you hear a bunch of demon voices, you see a shadow man, you can convince yourself that those aren't real, but then when you roll over and you see your friend, maybe not friend, maybe just a roommate, maybe they're just acquaintances, acting out in a beastal way, laughing in the darkness, I would have gotten up. I would have gotten up and roamed the halls as well. Possibly a coincidence all these things happen. But maybe it is a piece of evidence to say that maybe sleep paralysis isn't decided science. Maybe it is something a little more than just our body still being asleep, our mind in a state of dreaming while our eyes are open. Maybe it is more metaphysical than that. And her roommate wasn't able to fight off the demonic voices as easily as Kimberly did. And I just realized that both of, both of these women are going to be joining the armed forces if they're not already, if they haven't already left the academy, probably not. One of them, one of them might have been possessed by a demon at the U.S. Naval Academy. So there we go. There we go. Hopefully, hopefully it was just a coincidence. Hopefully there's not someone who someday is going to be the captain of a battleship. And she's like, oh, you know, it'd be totally awesome. <laughs> Are there nukes on this thing? And her eyes glow red. <sighs> They're like, no, Becca, we've told you for the 15th time there's no nukes on this boat. Oh, man, can I get a promotion to the nuke boat? They're like, 
No, no, you can't. Your eyes are glowing red. You're super spooky. The last time we were at a meeting with generals, you got on all fours and started cackling. She's like, oh, yeah, got to stop having those meetings at three in the morning. And again, I guess I guess fates don't want me to do this story right now. I, I don't have enough time to tell the Zodiac Killer one. I'm going to tomorrow's episode. I'll do that one first. I'll do the Zodiac story first. It's actually really fascinating, but every time... I get to the point where I have to record it. I was looking at it uh, just now, like I did yesterday. I'm like, I don't have enough time to cover this. So we're going to do Zodiac Killer tomorrow. But I'm going to pull an audible, and we're going to do another story we have here. So Eva Marie, Eva Marie has on. Eva Marie brought her Zodiac costume. She cosplays as the Zodiac. She's like, yes, I want this episode. Ha <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Sorry, you don't get to wear your Zodiac. Oh, man, she's taking it off. It's fine. Um, but it is a good story. We will have to save it for tomorrow, though. So, Eva Marie, call in that Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind this battleship. We are headed out to Perth in Australia. Carpenter Copter is cutting waves across the beautiful Atlantic Ocean. It's February 4th, 1992. Eva Marie, land in this backyard of this dude's house. His name is Andrew. We see a little light on in his bedroom, and then click, it goes off. So we break into his house and pull out my little pot lock pick. Click, he, we go in his house. He's just going to sleep. He's having a really hard time falling asleep. He's in bed. He's rolling around. Ugh. Shouldn't have listened to Dead Rabbit Radio. I always have a hard time sleeping. He's rolling around in his bed. And then all of a sudden, he's wide awake. And he's standing outside of a basketball stadium that he recognizes. He doesn't know exactly where it's at, but when he sees this basketball stadium, he knows he's seen it before. He's standing outside this basketball stadium, and that's when he realizes he's not alone. There's 50 other people standing around him. He doesn't recognize any of them. He hears a voice in his head telling him he's been chosen. A blue orb appears in the night sky above them and begins to descend on this crowd of people. As it gets lower, it gets bigger and it envelops all 50 people. Now they're all standing inside this basketball stadium. He says that he's standing in this group and you can only assume if he's getting the telepathic message that he's been chosen that they've got a similar message. Chosen for what? Chosen by who? Andrew doesn't know any of these questions. But he's looking at all the people around him, and they feel sinister to him. He said they were human. He said they looked completely normal. But when he would look at them, sometimes they would turn and look directly at him. And their eyes were out of focus. Everything else appeared completely normal, but their eyeballs were blurry. One of these humans walks over to him, holding a cricket bat, and kneels before Andrew and offers the cricket bat up to him. Andrew reaches down and grabs the cricket bat. He feels something in his head. It's not a telepathic voice, it's a telepathic emotion. He begins to become overwhelmed with anger. He's holding this cricket bat, and he's getting more and more enraged. 
He's fighting the urge to act out this anger. And then he opens up his hand. And the cricket bat falls to the stadium floor. He turns and walks out of the arena. As he's walking towards the main exit, everything goes white. And he's back in his bed. This story was from UFO Research Australia, issue number 35. I got it from the great folks over at thinkaboutitdocs.com. But this episode could easily be chalked up to a dream, right? Guy's having a hard time sleeping, has this dream, all this stuff happens, wakes back up in bed. That's a totally fair, skeptical way of reading the story. But from a more, more fun way of reading the story, you have a man who was teleported, being chosen, being selected, which has come across in a lot of UFO stories. The reason why most of us don't see UFOs is because we're not being selected to view them which I find very fascinating aspect of it. You have this man who was chosen. You have this man. You have these other people who seem to be also under the control of some... All of these standard things, which I think are interesting and spooky in their own right. The eyes being out of focus is something I've never come across before in any of this research. And that is really unsettling. Because that is the main... I mean, I don't want to be cliche and say the eyes are the windows to the soul, but that is how we gauge emotion. That is how we gauge engagement. That is how we gauge all sorts of things. The eyes are such an essential part to being able to read people's intent. Now, I'm not saying it's the only thing. You can talk to a girl wearing sunglasses on the street. You can tell from her body language, from her smile, things like that, how things are going. (laughs) If you're picking up women on the street, I guess I kind of gave that one away. But let's say that I'm not just picking women up on the street. Let's say that... I'm, I'm just talking to them. I'm talking to them because I love their shoes. Um, there's other ways that you can communicate without using their eyes. But if you saw somebody with blur... Let me just go back to that thing. If you saw somebody with blurry eyes, that's such a disturbing image. Everything else looks normal, but their eyes are out of focus. I've never come across anything like that. We've had glowing eyes or no eyes like black-eyed children. But the eyes being out of focus, it makes you think one of two things. One, that these creatures, whatever they were, if these were other humans who were also chosen, maybe he was the only human there. Maybe these humans had become enthralled or possessed by these entities. And the eyes being blurry was the giveaway. Like they couldn't replicate that perfectly enough. It could also be a thing that he could see that, but a normal person couldn't. Because he was chosen in that element that he was able to read that for a second. Kind of like that movie They Live. Which I hate comparing movies to events because that's a real easy thing to do. But like someone in the right circumstances could actually perceive what these beings really were. But you and I could talk to someone all day long. They look totally normal. But their eyes are actually out of focus. Distorted. We don't have that sight. We don't have that instinct. That's a really disturbing image. I'm trying to think. I don't even, I'm trying to think of what that would even look like. Because again, I've seen so many versions of that. Like the eyes are bloodshot. The eyes are white. Like just pure white. Like a zombie or something like that. But just the eye being, the eye being out of focus is creepy. It's a creepy image. And it's one that I haven't come across in stories before. Kneeling and offering a man a cricket bat as anger enrages him did they want him to 
kill the man kneeling? Was it an offering to him to see if they could control him? There's so many bizarre elements, and they add up to a very, very interesting story. Incredibly obscure. I'd never come across it before. But one that may, it may have just been a dream, or it may be something that has happened before. And it may have been something that's happened since. Because if he was chosen, and he rejected that offer, did they search for the next chosen one? Because it's quite possible that this man may have been chosen. And they hand him that cricket bat. And he doesn't have a way to fight off the anger. He gives in to the mental control. And falls under the thumb of this entity. And then one night, on another part of the globe, a young man or woman is falling asleep. They find themselves outside a sports arena in their country. And they find themselves standing in a crowd of people with blurry eyes. But not a crowd of 50 people. This time there's a crowd of 51. A growing army, fueled by hate and anger. And they're looking for their next soldier. Tonight. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.